0: Welcome to the Wild and Well podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Hilary Clare, a clinical psychologist, holistic parenting mentor with a focus on nutrition and environmental medicine, a yogi, author, and mom of two wild boys. Here, we will delve into the big and the little things that move the needle for children's health and mental wellness in a modern world that doesn't always make it easy to do so. Together, we can nurture resilient kids, vibrant mothers, and a brighter future for the planet and the next generation. Let's get into it. In today's episode, I get to chat with the beautiful Rochelle Glendon all about slow living in motherhood. Rochelle is a wife, mother, a certified life coach, as well as the host of the How to Live Slow podcast. Her podcast is for modern women who wish to ditch hustle culture, slow down, and reconnect to their natural rhythms. Rochelle's focus is on matrescence, which is the transformation of motherhood. She also focuses on slow and seasonal living, as well as self leadership. She believes that when we slow down, when we rest and take care, We will see that it's been the answer to many of our world's problems all along. I couldn't agree more. Enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Rochelle. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us all about slow living.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Before we begin, can you tell us one thing that you did today to take care of yourself or nourish yourself?
1: Oh, well, today I actually had a little bit of a sleep in. I let the kids go downstairs and sort their own breakfast out. So I had a bit of a headache. So I stayed in bed and yeah, it was nice. I don't normally do that. So it was a very good treat.
0: (laughs) That's lovely. Can you um, tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do?
1: Yeah. So as you said, my name's Rochelle. I have two boys um, and they're aged four and six. And I'm a slow living. coach. Uh, My husband and I have had a trades-based business for 10 years now. Um, And yeah, so that's how I've kind of like, uh, I guess, gotten to this point where I decided that I wanted to do something of my own that wasn't just all about tradesmen. (laughs) So um, yeah, I started my podcast. I've got a slow living podcast called How to Live Slow. And um, I'm a a life coach. So I help really busy mums to slow down. It's really... Yeah, I love it. Very
0: cool. It's so needed too. So mm, yeah. if we start with the basics, what is slow living?
1: So slow living is a philosophy, actually. It actually really stems from um, the slow food movement, which is a thing that was started in Italy around um it actually a little background story, there was um, a McDonald's trying to open in Rome in near the, near the Spanish steppes, I think it was, and the locals were like, sorry, no, that's just everything that McDonald's stands for goes against the food culture here in Italy and, we, you know, food isn't just about eating for convenience, it's really about really enjoying the food itself, the preparation of it, and also the relationships and the time spent together. Um, so food is a big part of the culture, I guess, um, from that point of view. But it's it's slow living has kind of branched out from there to being a philosophy around just not hurrying through life and not just, you know, being busy for the sake of it, but doing taking the time to do things well. And now there are things like there's the slow parenting movement, slow travel, um, yeah, and slow slow can really um, apply slow business it can really apply to anything it's all just about really taking the time to do things at the right pace yeah
0: yeah I love that and I see why it would expand into all areas because probably some people might start with say slow parenting but then they realize that their business is going so busy and they're just overwhelmed in it and they want to bring it into that part of their life too and do you work with people in all those respects or do you mainly work in one of them?
1: I mainly work with mums like I love all aspects of slow living but I mainly work with mums in the first five years you know when they go through their matrescence period which is that you know that period where you're really changing you you were a woman you have a baby and that just often just pulls the rug out from underneath us um, because we've got to go through this whole evolution and become a new person ourselves Um, and I think that the idea, and I particularly work with my mums who feel really overwhelmed by the idea of, you know, air quotes, bouncing back, Um, you know, trying to get back to the same pace they were living at, trying to get back into the the old body that they had, trying to get back to work. Um, And almost in, you know, there's a lot of pressure on mums to almost like forget that they even had a child, (laughs) to get back and kind of take the kid along with their lives as it was before. Um, And I I really encourage uh, my mums to... You know, recognize and recognize that pattern, and slow down, and really take the time to build the relationship with their kids, and to do the right things, you know, the things that are right for them and their families, rather than trying to tick off boxes that society has outlined for us. Um, yeah, and I think that that really gives you so much more fulfillment as a mother, rather than getting stuck into resentment and overwhelm and exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah, it
0: seems like a much better path. I think back to when I had my first son, and I remember getting those messages from society and from friends saying, I'm so impressed that you just can do everything that you were doing before and you're living your life and you're just bringing your son with you. And they didn't see like the day to day at home where that was completely not true, but there was this, it was really reinforced. So I felt like there's this pressure to maintain that. um, And that was. Just exhausting and yeah, just didn't work at all. And it just started to burn me out. So I think it's so important that you are doing that work with mothers at that time to help them to not go down that path. Do you work with mothers like while they are pregnant as well or more after?
1: It's more so after. So there's two kind of concepts that I have. One is called the flexible parent, which is where you find yourself, like often in Australia, we have like a 12-month maternity leave and everything goes along really nicely and we fall into these patterns where mum does all the mum, you know, traditional mum jobs, dad goes off to work um, and this is obviously just very generic. But then the friction point comes when the mum gets to the end of the 12 months of her maternity leave and is contemplating, well, how am I going to go back to work? Am I going to go back? Am I going to go back to work? How am I going to manage that? It, should I go back to work full-time? Will I go part-time? And it's all kind of because we're in this mode of being the one to do all of the things from in the domestic sphere. There's And often we don't even realise that we should be having a conversation with our partner about like, well, are we going to share the daycare pickups? Who's going to do what days? And we just take on the load of paying for the daycare, of Um, Booking it in, you know, managing our schedules to to suit so that we can almost, you know, warrant it. And so many mums take on what I call a flexible parenting role in that they're the ones who have a day off work when the kids are sick, or they choose to not take a promotion, or they work part-time because it's better for the family, but not necessarily their option. And the friction point is when you realize that and Um, you're kind of at your relationship or your family dynamic becomes at the mercy of the 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 cultural like the patriarchal conditioning that we're in where uh, we don't really realize what's going on and there might be friction within our relationships for example um, because we aren't consciously aware that what we need to be doing is asking for help and slowing down and communicating more more effectively so it comes out Um, as Marta mothering, like we nag and we get frustrated and we feel taken advantage of. Um, and it's not always necessarily our partner's fault, but yeah, so there's this friction point. Um, it may be going back to work or it may be wanting to do something more, you know, start your own business or whatever it is, but they'll often us as mums, we come to a point where we're ready to come out of that baby bubble. And, um, that's where the friction point comes from. But, now I've gone on such a tangent, I'm not even sure what the question was. <laughs> That's a time when you, moms
0: often come to you when they reach that point. Yeah. Is that what, yeah. And cause yeah. I guess we don't seek out help until we really need it. Right. Like, it'd be great if yeah. we could set up this type of coaching and mentoring ahead of time, but generally with your work, I'm guessing. And I know with mine, people come to me once. yeah, they're at that friction point or beyond it. They've been at that for a long, long time. Is that the case for you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's that friction point. And often my mums come because they think that, you know, what they need to do is slow down. And that is true. But actually, there's so much more. It's so much inner work as well. It's not just, you know, it's not just a problem that they've got to solve on the surface of, okay, well, the problem is I'm too busy and I don't know how to slow down and I don't know how to rest. Um, But there's reasons for that that we're often not aware of. um, That's not, you know it's not just a necessarily a you problem it's a society problem but um yeah it's just really cool so yeah that's when my mums usually come to me like help me slow down <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and i think we often do think it is something internal in us that's wrong mm-hmm. or that we have to navigate but yeah when we dive into it it really is often those systemic societal problems that we yeah. are experiencing and having issues with but you have to yeah. gain that awareness first don't you and then you're able to navigate it So what are some of those societal reasons that come up? Like, is it that busyness I know for myself and a lot of the clients I work with their self-worth is so derived by being productive and being busy. And we're being reinforced to be that way from a young age, right. For achieving and doing and doing and doing rather than being and being intentional and being slow. So what are some of the, um, societal reasons is that a big one for you or are there other ones
1: yeah i mean the productivity culture or hustle culture of you know doing it till you're proud or whatever but also i mean that all kind of stems from capitalism and how your value comes from the dollars that you earn and we're taught that basically from the moment we start school uh, school is kind of like training us to be good workers in in cap- under capitalism Um, But our cultural conditioning as well, we're under patriarchal capitalism as well, which also teaches women that they're not as, you know, not as equal as men and that our worth comes from how we care for others. But we, you know, so there's this friction between like a successful woman is able to do it all and have it all, but a good mother is at complete odds with that. So we've got these dual conflicting identities that we've got there as well. So that productivity culture of, like, doing, doing, doing and kind of ticking off those social, you know, all of that, those, like, you know, get a job, buy a car, buy a house, you know, go on holidays, get a promotion, have two kids, you know, all of those things, all of that, that's kind of like all those pressures to do that keeps us busy Um, and that's where it all kind of comes from. Often it's not necessary and the whole philosophy of slow living is to, stop and pause and reflect and understand what are our actual values, what do we actually want from our lives because often it's very different from what we think it is based on our cultural conditioning. So we're, we're often heading towards goals that we think are important um, and, and because we're so busy, we haven't had the time to reflect. So we might get to a point, you know, in our mid-30s or something where we've done all the things and we're still not feeling fulfilled. Um, because they're not actually the things we actually wanted. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that's, again, you know, there's so much to it, isn't there? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think getting that awareness of what those societal influences are and how we do live in Mm -hmm. a patriarchal capitalist society is so important. And then, like you say, Mm -hmm. getting clear on what we want and how it can be really hard to get to that point when you're mid-30s and you realise, shoot, I've been doing all these things, thinking that's how I'm going to get fulfillment and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then realizing, well, you're not, you feel a bit empty with that or you feel dissatisfied. So it can be, there's a bit of grieving that can go on there, can't there be?
1: Yeah, exactly. And again, that grief keeps us busy because we're not very good at feeling sad feelings. We just push, push, push. And, you know, there can often be another another reason why we can get really busy is due to like, childhood experiences that were a bit negative or that we want to run from or like we might be trying to prove ourselves or you know finally get to a point where we feel safe and and like we we've achieved something or we've reached kind of some level of acceptability where our value has finally been achieved so um that keeps us busy as well but yeah
0: (laughs) and do you think by working with women and them? realizing that they don't necessarily value the things that our society does. Do do they gain a lot of empowerment in that by recognizing that and going after what they want? Or what what happens for them in that journey?
1: Yeah, it's such a, a long, a lot of undoing um because so often, you know, you can become aware of your of you know the fact that you've been influenced by by, by the culture and that you want to slow down. But I mean Think of any time when you've said to yourself, okay, I'm just going to have a day off and rest. I'm just going to sit on the couch and read my book or whatever. And you just get so much guilt from doing that. It's not really a one and done thing. It's an ongoing process of consistently asking yourself, is this what I want? How can I find time to rest? How can I let myself off the hook of this guilt um, for resting? And so I think there is a lot of empowerment, um, but it can be quite confronting actually because you know, slowly being on the surface of it just looks like doing less or having boundaries, saying no to things, you know, like, but actually there's so many ways that we fall back into old habits because even when we try to go on a budget, you know, and we try to like, or maybe our, our, you know, maybe we realize that we're actually not into consumerism. So we, you know, we think we might, but it's so easy to go, okay, I'm not going to be into consumerism. I'm going to shop secondhand. Next thing you know, you're always at the secondhand shops and it, you know, like, but you're still, you're still spending money. Like, so it's just, you know, just totally slowly, slowly undoing all of that. Um, yeah. But I think once you get to a point where, I mean, it's really just about sovereignty, isn't it? Personal sovereignty of, you know, so of course it's going to be filled with empowerment. It's going to be filled with just the satisfaction of knowing that you're living your life according to what's important to you even although it looks or feels very different or, you know, and there's a lot of safety that you have to get to, to be able to make decisions that go against what might be culturally acceptable um, or, you know, acceptable from your family's point of view as well um, or your friends as well. So you have to be quite brave.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I imagine that takes time to make those shifts and it's like peeling an onion. You, you might. Yeah get somewhere and you like you say with the secondhand shopping you know but then then what's the next step after that and reducing that consumerism in your life but I love that it comes to that being like a sovereign being I think that's such an incredible Mm -hmm. place to get to and and work towards and that's a journey but along that journey you learn so much about yourself and you do gain strength in yourself don't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, then you can start to communicate with your loved ones in more effective, direct ways as well. You know, it doesn't feel like a confrontation every time you stand up for your needs, which is another part of patriarchy as well. (laughs) That We're not supposed to have needs and speaking up for them or, or, um, you know, looking after our our needs as women um, is somehow taken away from others.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a really big one that women have to shift. And I think initially we can be aggressive with that, with getting our needs met, because we are not used to just asserting ourselves clearly. So it can kind of swing from being really um, meek or being aggressive. And it takes time to find that middle ground where you just feel solid in yourself and you can just be clear on what you need.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Let's talk about slow living in terms of parenting, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how does slow living impact on our children and how can parents start taking steps towards having a slower life in a doable way? Because yeah, in our society, with our friends, with our family, we are going down one path and it can be so hard to do something different. So how do we, yeah. Yeah, as parents start taking steps towards that and how is that helpful for our kids? Yeah. So I, I
1: mean, slowly, Living is so, to me, it's, I can't say it's the best way because obviously everybody's got to do their life the the way that suits them. But for me, it's a really great way to raise your children, particularly in those early years, because, well, um, I've got a friend, Jojo, who runs a business called Slow Postpartum. So she's a postpartum doula and she really advocates for those first, particularly like that fourth trimester, you know, when you've got up to three months old, really just, really letting yourself be taken care of and to just focus on connecting with your baby and healing from, from the pregnancy and the birth. And, and that to me is going to set like, I see that setting you up for a really, I mean, the whole purpose of like, why would we have kids if we didn't want to have relationships with them? And those early years, like taking the time to really be with them as much as possible and to, you know, Maybe you've got kids who don't sleep through the night or they don't eat or, you know, they've got other things where and you need to rest and recover. Like that takes its toll. Postnatal depletion, as you know, is a really big thing. Um, And trying to get back to rushing through life, um, you know, and getting things, you know, ticking off all the boxes. um, It just takes its toll on the family. Um, And it benefits our kids because our kids, like a lot of child development, Kind of, you know, specialists say that kids need to know how to be bored so that they can be creative. They need a lot of time outdoors and to play. And I mean, I know for my kids, we don't really necessarily put them into too many extracurricular activities, which I know, you know, families, parents particularly feel really pressured to put their kids into all sorts of activities right from an early age. And And that's great. Like I think, like a baby music class. I think I did with my my youngest, my oldest son, and that was actually more for me, for the social side of it, for me to see other adults rather than my my son so much. But, um, you know, like things like when my kid, my older son, started prep, and all of his friends were starting soccer and doing swimming and doing all of these things, and I just couldn't see how my son could cope with that. Like five days a week of school, it's so tiring. And to then have to rush off on a on the 6th morning, you know, Saturday mornings to go off and do soccer and, um, you know, stay, doing training after school and trying to fit all of those things. Like it's just too much rushing around and not enough free time. Um, you know, as they get older, uh, obviously that comes into play so much more um, and you want them to be active. But if you're providing, you know, and if you're living a slower life, it's not just about doing nothing. It's actually providing them that space and time to play and to go out outside. Um, and that's really, it's just so, so beneficial to our kids. Yeah. And to us. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: And do you feel a pressure or do the mothers that you work with feel a pressure to stay in that busy culture with parenting, with getting your kids to go to all sorts of extracurriculars or.
1: Yeah yeah I mean I even struggle with that like my son is seven now and um, he's in year one and you know again he's not in we didn't sign him up for soccer we we said we'll do that next year and you know he's starting to notice now like all my friends are at soccer and I'm not and I feel really like have I let him you know should I put him into gymnastics should I put him in you know should I be out there doing this and that with him like maybe he's being left behind but do you know what When When we go and play on the weekends, we just go out and play soccer with friends in the neighborhood or whatever. And he's playing it at at the same level, and he's the one hoping and asking us, "I want to join up for soccer next year. You know, I want to do cricket. I want to do this. I want to do that." And I think that that is the difference. Yeah. So I have to remind myself. Like I have to remind myself as well. Like you know it's okay they're not missing out you know it looks like they're missing out but they're not actually missing out there's lots of other benefits like it yeah I think there's so much pressure for that and um, you know it it takes a lot of courage to not to not push them into all of these activities but the payoffs are you know it comes around full circle when when the payoffs are that they're asking you to do activities rather than come on, we've got to get ready for this. or We've got to get ready for that, which I know is a big problem for a lot of parents. Like, you know, they don't even want to go. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And I, I imagine getting really clear on what your values are and how you want your family life to be it makes it a lot easier as well to make those decisions to hold off on putting them in a million different activities and waiting to that point where they're asking. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. And, and that's another thing. Like, Often we're not really even sure what our priorities are as a family because we don't really, we kind of just go along. Um, We don't really take the time to talk about that stuff, you know, set family goals or to get input from the kids um, and that sort of thing as well. Like what's actually important. Mm.
0: And what about screens? How do they come into this? Because sometimes when kids are at home, there's a tendency for them to be on screen. So there's an argument that I've heard from parents where they put them in lots of things to keep them busy and uh, to keep them physical and their mind stimulated. And so they're not just at home on watching TV or playing on a
1: tablet. Yeah, I know. It's a really tricky one. And I actually, you know, uh, in the past, I've probably been quite judgy about screens and quite strict about screens, but I realized, you know what, we actually don't need to put that much pressure on ourselves to worry so much about it. I um, mean, there's lots of research to say that screens aren't a great idea for particularly younger kids. But if, you know, I think this is an opportunity for us to, sh- you know, model healthy behaviors. I know that my kids want screens more when I'm really distracted on my own phone. And I might be like, no, you can't have your, you can't have your iPad, but I'm sitting there scrolling on my phone, you know, so it's kind of like, it's all about modeling healthy, healthy behaviors. So I mean, again, it's another thing where this is an opportunity for us to communicate as a family by saying, all right, what what can we come up with? And getting your actual collaboration with your children around what they think is an appropriate amount of screens and setting the rules or the boundaries together. And, you know, I know my preference is for my kids to not be on screens in the mornings. So I have to kind of be okay with, well, then I have to like let them have it a little bit of an afternoon sometimes or things like that. I mean, my preference would be for them to not be on screens at all, but this is the reality when, you know, how, yeah, as long as you're providing opportunities for them, to, and that's, again, it's on us as parents to kind of provide those opportunities for them to kind of get outdoors, you know, and be engaged in that as well, to enjoy being outdoors ourselves. Um, or to play with them like if we're giving them screens so that we get a break then there's also another you know something to look at there as well (laughs) yeah so it's all just information I think how things go yeah and
0: that modeling part is so important isn't it looking at what we're doing why we're doing what we're doing and what we're modeling to them I think is such a good place for us to start because yeah we can't expect our kids to do things that we're not willing to do, go outside, but we're never out there, get off your screen, but we're always on ours.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You talk about balance, like not being a thing. And I love that because I just think balance is not really possible. We're always juggling things and sometimes (laughs) we're going to drop some balls, right? We can't prioritize everything always. And yeah, yeah, it's a really unattainable expectation that we put on ourselves, especially mothers. Mm -hmm. There's always talk about balance and motherhood. So, if balance isn't achievable, or I would even argue, like not even desirable, what's the alternative? And how can we focus on moving towards that alternative instead of the balance?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I love the analogy. You know, we always talk about juggling our balls, you know, and the balls being all of the competing priorities we have in our life. And they say, like, If you were to get sick or if something were to happen, which balls are made of glass and you can't drop them? And those are your priorities. And so when the others fall away, you know that those are the things that you can spend less time on. And I like that analogy, but I also would say that that is still, that is still being reactive. That's still being external to, you know, having your values external to you. It's still letting other people decide what's important for you to focus on. So instead of focusing or thinking about it from a balance point of view of, you know, you can kind of have, you know, balance in a sense, but you've got to bring it back into yourself. I would rather like I prefer to think about it as being focused or understanding your values. So slow living is all about knowing what your values are and what is your priority in this in this season of your life based on your values. So the analogy that I prefer to use is to think about yourself as being like an umbrella. So instead of juggling all the balls, which are all the things that everybody says should be important or that feel important to sort of think of yourself as being, you know, opening an umbrella and, you know, that umbrella is all of the priorities are all the raindrops. Everything from external is like landing on your umbrella, but you've got your umbrella up and that's protecting you because you've got strong boundaries. You know what your values are you know what's important to you and you've got those things under the umbrella with you and you're protecting them from everything external to that. So but I, I like that analogy. It's a little bit more like I'm the one in control. I'm not at the mercy of what other people say is should be important to me. And yeah, I think that that if you think of it from that point of view, but yeah, really it's more about knowing what your priorities are and being okay with upsetting or disappointing other people because you're holding on to those values or those things that are important. And, yeah, just uh, having those firm boundaries and understanding, understanding yourself and knowing that when you're saying yes to something that's not an important thing, you're saying no to things that are. And I think that that gives you something better than trying to find balance. And understanding your own capacity as well and your own energy flows because, you know, we're not mobile phones. We can't plug ourselves in and get 100% charge every single day. Uh, we're women with hormonal fluctuations and our energy and our ability to cope and manage with things changes on a day-to-day basis, as, as I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> but So also allowing that, you know, not putting your pressure the pressure on yourself. Like one of the things that I love to say is... Um, when you're doing like your weekly planning for your week or whatever it is, schedule yourself to 70% or less because at least, you know, you'll probably hit hit the mark a bit more rather than trying to squeeze 120% in to 100% of a day. Like it's just, yeah. And yeah, that's that can feel shift. really uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, because we're not used to doing that, are we? We're, we're used to just doing more 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 rather than being okay yeah. with doing
1: less. Exactly. Yeah. I remember my coach, Joe Bendall said to me years ago, if you aim for five average days in your work week, for example, and you hit it, you're going to get more done than overscheduling yourself to the point that you can't take action on anything and you get nothing done because you're so overwhelmed and spinning your wheels. So it's so true. And like aim for average doesn't sound like very motivational advice, but it totally works.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, it's a mindset shift, but it's actually a really useful one, isn't it? Yeah. So how do we start giving ourselves permission to live our lives on our own terms? Like, is it that we are so connected to our values and our priorities and that makes us feel solid in us? Or, or is there more that we can do? Cause I know as women, that can be really hard. It's that self-awareness is so important, but then how do we start living that way and create those boundaries?
1: I I think of it as, yeah, an ongoing kind of cycle. Like you said, it's like peeling an onion or you might, you know, it's this, the cycles of life. Like we're we're kind of, you know, we're part of nature. We have seasons and cycles just like nature does. So if you think about it from that point of view, um, I kind of have this like system that I talk about um, in my program, the slow life, and I guess it's not a system, it's like a cycle. And the first step is to do less. So you, and then you move on to needing less and then you live, you know, you be more uh, present and then you live more aligned. So they mirror the seasons of nature. So the doing less phase is kind of like winter. So we take some time to rest and reflect and to try to scale back small things to do less and to have more boundaries and to just try it with a few things like be okay with like maybe taking one extracurricular activity out, maybe changing a few of the ways that you set up your rules around like how you say yes. So maybe instead instead of automatic, like you can't go from always saying yes to everything, even when you don't want to, you know, and having no boundaries to instantly being like, no, nope, I've got boundaries. It doesn't really work. Um, but you might change the rule to being like, oh, I don't say yes straight away. So my response, my automatic response is I just need to, can I get back to you? You know, let me, I need to see if I can. And then when you do that, then you can move on to what I call spring, which is the needing less, um, which is more minimalism. And, um, and you know, so you can, you can look at, okay, well, how can I reduce the things in my life, the clutter that's overwhelming me or the mental load and things like that. Um, The mental load is often mother's biggest, you know, thing (laughs) that we cope, that we manage. Um, So how do we reduce the mental load? Again, that's another, you know, thing. And then you move on to being more present. So you've kind of created more space in your life in small ways. Then you can be more present, you know, with your life and learn to feel more safe in the present moment because often we're so used to rushing towards the next thing that being in the now, and playing with our kids or, you know, doing all of that, like can feel really confronting and kind of almost uncomfortable to, to do that. So we be present We thought, okay, well, what's uncomfortable? And then you move on to kind of autumn, which is um, living more aligned, which is where we look at, okay, well, now I've done all this work. What's not working? And what do I want more? And then you start again and you go, okay, well, I need to make these changes. So then you rest and reflect and you go along and you slowly like peel, that, peel the layers down. And I think that that makes it so much more manageable and so much more self-supportive than just going, I have to make all these changes and I'm going to slow right down and I've got such a big task in doing that.
0: Well, you don't want that overwhelm, do you? To be like you're trying to create a slow, intentional way of living. That overwhelm is just
1: counterproductive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And on the surface, slow living looks like just doing less, and, you know, lighting a candle and having a bubble bath when you're stressed. Um, But when you get started on it, you find that it's actually a real unwiring of a lot of our learned patterns of behaviour. And that's really uncomfortable and really can be confronting. So that's not to dissuade anyone from giving it a go because on the other side of all that discomfort is the life that you actually truly are here to live. And understanding what that is and giving yourself permission to have that life and to become that version of you really is where the magic lies in that fulfillment, that internal fulfillment. So you don't have to be suffering from FOMO. And I think people think FOMO is such a bad thing. But it's just information. It's just, you know, when you're feeling FOMO, it's just saying, well, hang on, there's something in your life that you're not you want that you're not, you're not chasing. Yeah. When you can live a FOMO free life, I think you know that you've really like you're starting to live towards what you really want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you're (laughs) seeing the FOMO as something like that is information. Like, Let's get curious about that, not just find it irritating or go towards that thing, but ask why, why am I feeling that? And that model that you have, that cycle and how people go through it over and over again. I think that is, that's how a journey is, right? You don't go through something really quickly. Once you keep cycling through it, like the seasons, I think that's such a beautiful path that you take people on in your program and in your sessions i i think that's super useful and it seems really exciting to be shedding what beliefs we have and the ways that we live our lives to create space for what we want as we go forward and that is you're right that's where the fulfillment is isn't it
1: yeah absolutely um yeah and you know a lot of us Uh, I think it's Brooke McCallery in her book. um, So like she's the, she has the slow your home podcast. And she says in the start of her book um, that she wrote a eulogy. uh, And I thought that was really powerful. Just reflecting on what you want people to say about you at your funeral, you know, because there's like, you know, everybody's, you know, I'm sure you've seen that thing about the regrets of the dying and like how, you know, no one ever wished they worked harder or no one ever wished they scrolled social media more or whatever it is. Um, Yeah. But, but what do you want to be remembered for? And then work towards living to that, because then you know that you're living towards what, you know, isn't actually important to you.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really, really good, really powerful exercise to do. So yeah. in terms of in your life, if you look to your future, what shifts do you want to make in terms of slow living? Like what are some big and little shifts that you're currently working towards on your journey?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. I am currently trying to figure out if I would like to homeschool or not actually. And it's so complex. There's so many decisions because I don't mind the school that we, like. the school that we're at is really beautiful, but It's five days a week and it really like it's been a big adjustment for us as a family having school in our lives now because it means that, you know, we've got to go on holidays at the times everyone else is on holidays where that wasn't what we used to do and I would love to go traveling long-term one day. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, that's a different, that's a whole thing and I feel like, you know, slow living and homeschooling might go together really well because then we could, you know, uh, manage our own, you know, we're not beholden to school hours. <laughs> but that's a very big one, though. That's a big decision. And, yeah, I am um, uh, currently trying to um, slow down more around uh, taking the time to prepare more uh, from scratch meals rather than convenience food all the time, you um, And getting the kids to, you know, I think over Easter we definitely got big sweet tooths. (laughs) So, and uh, yeah, I think I've relied a lot on, um, you know, not pre-packaged meals or anything, but, you know, not from scratch. And I I really do love and enjoy cooking. So, yeah, a little bit more home-cooked, which is good for the environment as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those are... Really incredible things to be like working towards. So, I'm excited to hear what you end up deciding with the homeschooling question, because I think that's one that so many parents are asking right now because they do want more flexibility. And we're getting so much more flexibility in our workplaces, but school Mm -hmm. hasn't really shifted in that way. It's still the five days, the set hours. And even with the pandemic, there's been a lot of shifts. A lot of people have been going down the homeschooling or unschooling route. So, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to hear what happens, what you end up deciding.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm hoping that we can take a longer trip at some point later in the year, and that might be our testing ground to see if it would work for us. But, yeah, you're right, because school starts at 9 o'clock. Like, my sons love to get up and do things early on. Like, that's when their brains are on, sort of like at 6 o'clock in the morning. So, by 9 o'clock, it's kind of our midday, you know, like (laughs) we're early birds. And so, yeah, I think the, the learning hours required, it's just, I'm not sure that it's always, always, you know, going to be good for every child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if each one of us could do
0: one little thing today to move us closer to a slower, more
1: intentional life, what would you
0: suggest we do?
1: I would suggest that, and this is a, a funny one, but I would suggest that you actually schedule in time for things that I call white space activities. So it's all the things that we do that, like, they just happen. You know, like it might be putting a load of washing on, hanging the washing out, changing the toilet roll on the toilet, you know, um, put, helping the kids put their shoes on, making lunches. It kind of all just gets all bundled in. Um, to the white space, but we don't really have a lot of white space in our lives. So if we, and again, this helps you to schedule yourself to seventy percent, because you've, you you realize that actually that stuff all takes time and it all adds up, and it it is a drain on your mental capacity. Um, so that's one that I'm I'm really playing with a lot lately is to remember all of those things that you have to do as a mum, particularly, um, that don't get the airtime. Or they're not necessarily always valued, but need to be done. I think sometimes that the other thing to do is brain dump when you're struggling with the mental load. Write it all down, and sometimes you can go, "It's on the paper now. I can cross it off," and that's quite satisfying. And even if it's not important, it's out of your head metaphorically (laughs) and physically. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are really good ones for the mental load. Do you have any other suggestions for the mental load? Because that is something that yeah so many mothers nowadays are struggling with like you say it's one of the biggest issues because it's just so much and it's it's not yeah. always that concrete like it is changing the toilet paper roll and remembering an appointment in three months time and on and on and on
1: yeah I mean the mental load is a, is a huge one and there's so much to it but yeah I think the 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 one that I that really works to, the the starting point for me with the mental load is that brain dumping and making a plan. Like um, we actually on a Sunday night, randomly. This is another long story, but on a Sunday night, I sit down and I. I firm up any appointments that I need to firm up, or I reschedule any that don't feel right. That if I'm in, you know, if I didn't realize that my period is due, for example, and I'm just, I know that on a particular day I'm probably going to have a premenstrual headache, I'll reschedule an appointment. You know that sort of stuff. But I also then go away and I I brain dump everything that I need to know or remember or think about, and I go away and I, I talk with my husband about what has he got on that I need to know about and I let him know the things I need to know about as well, like he needs to know about that I've got on so that we can support each other and work our schedules in a little bit towards each other. And then that sort of helps him as well because, you know, that helps me because I can then take the time to say, can you help me with this or can you help me with that? Um, or I'll think that, you know, something's important and we chat about it and he's like, we don't actually have to do that, you know, or something like that. So we work together. I know a lot of people think that they need to figure out a way to share the mental load and get their partner to help more, and that is true, Um, but I think that that you can get beyond that by kind of thinking of it as something that, you know, like nagging can come into it as well, can't it? So like opening up the active lines of communication and, um, you know, just saying this is what we've got on as a family and and who's going to help with what.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's more collaborative. It's and Yeah, it is. And it, it is, it's really complex and it's not easy to, it's not a one and done thing to just lower your yeah. mental load, but I love how you're making it more collaborative and the wording you're using there with your husband. It's as a family, it's not, I have this, can you help me with all my, all these things? It's that we, as a family have these things on and yes, I have these things and he has these things, but it is more collaborative and collective and I think that does bring more responsibility from both sides
1: yeah yeah that's right and I mean from the male female perspective I think men like to help us solve our problems so why not benefit from that by presenting our mental load as a problem that they can help us with (laughs) rather than saying you're not doing enough or you're not helping me or why haven't you done this or why haven't you done that that's that's not good for your relationship. But as again, it, when you're really busy, when you're feeling stressed and resentful, it's really hard to approach it from that point of view. And that's why slowing down yeah, can, can help with all of that because you've got the time it takes to nourish those relationships, which is valuable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've totally sold me on this slow living. <laughs> it's something that I'm dabbling in and working towards, but I'm a lot, not as far on the journey as you are, but it's a, it's a journey <laughs> I'm, I'm working towards. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your program. Like you talked, you walked us through those four stages or seasons in your program. How can people find out about this? How long does it go for?
1: Yeah. So um, it's in fluctuation at the moment, but I've, the slow life is being kind of retired. That was where I, I made that one a long, long time ago. self-paced at the moment. You can actually get it. It was about 90 I've got it down to 97 at the moment um and it's just a self-paced thing that takes you through those four phases but I am loving the seasonal approach now so I'm going to be running it more live in each kind of season so we'll go and what I found was that those four seasons in one kind of four week block was just way too much which is kind of against the philosophy so um, I'm breaking each one down and kind of going through it per you know physical Season. So in winter, this coming winter, and I'm changing the name. It's going to be called Strong Mothers. And it's um, a process going from martyr to matriarch for busy modern mums. So um, it's that, it, again, that going from the external forces to being more internal fulfilled. Um, yeah, so yeah, so Strong Mothers, it's, um, we're going to be talking about those initial steps of, like, how to do less and how to have boundaries and know what your priorities are and things like that, that's going yeah. to be in winter. So I haven't set the price yet, but, yeah, you can find it all on my website.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll add links in the show notes. It sounds incredible, and I yeah. love that you're bringing the, not only, like, the seasons to it, but you're working people through it with the seasons and slowing yeah. down because I think, yeah, a lot of the time, we feel pressured to create or engage in courses that are short and get through everything, but that's often unrealistic. So just focusing on yeah. one part of it in that season. And then the next one is Maybe I think that. a really doable way to do it.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's a bit of an experiment, but I, am yeah, because I one-on-one is where I'm at at the moment. Like those you know, one-on-one clients, but it's what I can manage at the time as well. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone understands like, you know, when you've got little ones at home, it's not always easy to even engage in a course, let alone run a course, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I love it. I just love helping my moms. It's really great.
0: Yeah, it sounds incredible. So anything that you wanted to mention here that I didn't ask you or any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with us?
1: I would say that, you know, understanding your own value as inherent from, you know, separate to the things that you achieve on any given day or the amount of money that you can earn. Like you're a valuable person and I think knowing that, that benefits you and your kids, you know, obviously I'm talking from mums from the perspective of women who are mothers, um, but it goes without saying, like it's, everybody is valuable and I think when we know that we're valuable regardless of what we get done on a day, that can really change things. And, you know, the way that we can show up in our relationships and be there for our kids is evident as well. When we're taken care of, you know, when we understand our value, we can take care of ourselves. And by default that makes us, you know, able to communicate and have deeper relationships. So yeah, it's important work. It's
0: really, really important work. Yes. So thank you so much for coming on here and talking about slow living and all the ways that we can start working towards this and why it is so important. And I, I'm sure you've convinced a lot of listeners if they're not already on the slow living bandwagon that it's necessary. I would even go as far as to say that we that we do implement some of this stuff or all of it. But where can we find you? Where are you on social media, your website? In this course, it's on your website, you said?
1: Yeah. Um, So my website is howtoliveslow.com and you can find me on Instagram at that name as well. And my podcast is How to Live Slow. Um, So it's very easy for everybody because the spelling of my name is not straightforward. (laughs) So How to Live Slow, you'll find me. Yeah, and I'd love to connect if you've got any questions or anything, please do reach out. Great, well, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wild and Well podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please share with like-minded mothers. A review wherever you listen to your podcast is greatly appreciated, as it helps to get the show out to even more mothers and families. Together we can nurture thriving kids, vibrant moms, and a brighter future for the next generation. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast is intended as educational in nature and is for informational purposes only. It is not personal health advice or indicative of a therapeutic relationship, and it should not be used to prevent, diagnose, or treat health problems. If any of the information in this podcast resonates with you, consult a qualified healthcare practitioner to discuss what works best for you in your unique situation.